and welcome everybody to the Father, the Daughter, and the Holy Podcast. Join my father and I as we discuss relevant and meaningful ideas and values inspired by the weekly Torah portion. Our goal is to open our discussion to you in the hopes that it will give you something to think and reflect on, as well as be another interesting conversation that you can have with your family, friends, and peers. So let's delve right in. Hello and welcome, everybody. We are still with mic problems, so <laughs> bear with us. <laughs> um, today's, well, tomorrow's Parsha is Vayigash, and I'm pretty sure we're going to be talking about assimilation. No. No. All right. We're not talking about assimilation. Psych. Unless you want to. Night, I throw that idea, and you're like, well, I was going to talk about that, so I kind of well, just assumed. Well, not exactly that. I was saying something else, but. I think because of the hour and... It's 11.23 for everyone else's information. Talk about something else that is central to the readings, but it's also central to our lives and Hanukkah. And it was on my mind, so... It has to do with our concept of providence. Something we call hashkacha, hashkacha pratit, or personal providence, or individual providence, the idea that God knows you, knows the individual, is aware of your presence, and it matters to the relationship with God, um, how you act and how you carry yourself in this world, that will determine your relationship with God. So that basic idea of Ashkacha Pratit, which normally people may use it to understand kind of providence, like divine guidance, which means things that actually happen to you happen because of God's providence. So Meaning, I want to separate those two things first, right off the bat. In other words, the idea that God knows you of your existence, the idea that your existence um, is significant, and it has meaning because the way you conduct yourself in your life will affect that relationship that uh, to to God, right? That, in my mind, is enough to have stated that I believe in personal providence. But most of the time, when people talk about personal providence, they talk about the things that happen in your life are directed by God, which I think is something else. So one second, you're you're making the differentiation between the belief that God knows us all on an intimate level, and therefore we have a unique and, and special connection versus, or that's one position, and then the other position is that God guides all the events in our life in a very specific way that is divine, and that is what we would call uh, divine intervention or, or personal divine guidance. Are those your two yeah, differentiations? Yeah, and, and I don't think you need to believe in that one. The second one, the fact oh. that God yeah. um, I don't, I don't think that's orchestrates not... things in a way to... Yeah, I don't think that that's part of the creed. In other words, um, when I said we were talking about it on talking about it Hanukkah is because the basic idea that Judaism differs from Greek philosophy, which is represented in Hanukkah, is... The idea that Greek philosophers um, believe in those things that we can grasp. 
And we can't grasp the idea that there would be a God who's infinite and perfect who would be interested in you. Why would he be interested in you? Right? It's not a perfect thing to think about. You and you, you know, you making apple pie and doing the things that you do in your life, which is insignificant. So one second. So just to clarify, Greek philosophy is of the position that God in all his perfection does not have a personal connection or a personal um, understanding of each individual. It's understanding. It's not, it's not something that, it's not, the, to be conscious of a little speck of dust is not perfection for God. That doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't, uh, God doesn't need to be conscious of every speck of dust. And to God, a human is like a speck of dust. Doesn't, it's meaningless in God's infinite being. So the only thing God can think about is basically things that God thinks about, which is things that himself. It sounds so silly to me, but okay. Well, the point is it's when you when you when you use a logical construct, that's where you get. They there the a Greek philosophy does not believe in a personal God, right? So I think part of the celebration of Hanukkah that we just finished this past week is trying to celebrate that we as Jews believe in personal gods. We, not personal gods. We believe in a God, of supreme God of everything, who created the heavens and the earth, who also knows you and who also can, uh, in other words, he, he will also affect the events of the world. And he created a very complex system of how the effects of the world the the um, consequences in the world take place through man's actions. Now, meaning God has created into the fabric of the world that man can create consequences, and then the rest of us all have to deal right, with them. Right, he he, he create consequences on things that we wouldn't necessarily think create consequences. So, for example, if the Ramban says in Chumash that it says Vayem Shamoa Tishmeu Ametzotai that if you listen to the commandments and you do the things, then it's going to rain, right? And you're going to have bounty and, and plenty. Meaning not all so, consequences are rational or logical. There are some things that are divine in their nature. And God says, this is a law that I'm putting into the functioning of the world that has nothing to do really with nature, but it's a law that I am creating that will now be natural in the world. Right. That's what the Ramban calls the Yehudim, like the promises of the Torah, that things will happen a certain way if a certain behavior is, uh, a certain attitude of human beings is followed, um, then things will happen like this. And if not, then other things will happen. And the Torah very often says that there are real life consequences in this world. Um, it does not talk about it on an individual level necessarily. It talks about it on a on a national level, right? That there's a the hazavashkacha over the people, right? And on the personal level, that's where it gets a little hairy, right? Like at, at what at what level is there providence over an individual? As far as this goes, not as far as the first level that I said, which is extends to everyone. Right, that God is aware of everything and everyone, and a man's or a person's attitudes and, and conduct will determine that relationship with God and his understanding of God and his ability to transcend this world, etc. But that doesn't necessarily impact on what's actually going to happen to him in this world. So, whatever happens to a person in this world as an individual 
is not necessarily um, determined by this providence, right? Meaning like your favorite example of the guy who is in the base medrash and drops his safer on the floor and goes, oh, it was mamish hashkacha pratis. I was supposed to drop this book. Right. Supposed to drop this book. Right, You're saying, no, man, you just let it go and it fell. Nothing divine about that. Right. I will give the idea that there is this idea that we find that, you know, for great, great people, there is a greater level of hashkacha, which I could kind of understand, at least at some level. If it, you know, it seems to be that that's from the sources in the Gemara. It seems to be, in our general sources, it seems to be that greater people who are much more in tune to God are, are merit a higher level of providence that extends to the way their lives are lived out. But the, Ram, the Rambam says that, very, that for a regular person, it's like you can be struck with that lightning a couple times in your life where you can feel that in your lifetime you are being guided doesn't necessarily have to happen, but it could, and it would. Um, and it's not beyond our belief. We can believe that. But you just don't know what it is. Right. I was going to say that's a pretty fine line because at, at the end of the day, we don't actually know whether something was divine providence or not. Um, so it really does come down to the way you feel about it. And there are some people, like the people who drop their books and say that it was a well, pratis, this is what okay. who feel like everything is a pratis, and therefore there's this interesting and a little bit i think dangerous dynamic where nothing is really your responsibility and everything that happens is just always for the best and everything's wonderful and flowery and we don't really have to deal with reality because everything's divinely driven and divinely guided and nothing that i do actually matters that much because but that's one problem falls into the domain of god god right. did it so that's one problem that's one problem of believing that it's also a little bit arrogant to feel I mean, we have no sources to say that you know everything you do is you know God determining what's going to happen. Now it turns into a certain semantic because we have to realize that we're talking about it on our level and on our level of understanding. Um, it, you know, it, it it's not really a semantic. It's that it's it's not run the way we see and understand the way things are run by God, right? It's 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 God gave them, gave man the ability to determine his own fate. But um, there is a certain semantic when you start saying, "Well, then what does God? How, what does God control?" And then you say, "Well." Either really, he, God gave man the ability to choose, but he does control things in a way that, in the end, things happen according to God's will. So there's some kind of a macro will, and there's some kind of a minor, you know, micro ability for people to choose that somehow coexists with each other. But I, I don't want to really go there. I just want to talk about this idea of providence, right? So... The Parsha speaks on two different occasions. One, a reaction of the brothers after they have already sold their brother Yosef and they come down to Egypt and things are really not going their way. Mm. In a surprising fashion, perhaps we can say. We'll concede that. And in front of uh, Yosef, unbeknownst to them, that the thinking that they didn't understand, he didn't understand what they were saying, they say, oh, you know why this is really happening to us? And now... We're being threatened by the viceroy 
to be put into jail and things like that. It's because we were cruel to our brother. We're, we were cruel to our brother, and and one of the brothers, Ruvain, pipes up and says, "Yeah, it's because I told you not to." And so it seems there's a certain level of ascribing their events that are happening to them to something wrong that they've done. Divine Which, retribution. So, some kind of it's a, right. There's some kind of a there, there's a payback in this world. That's what they seem to be saying because they have no reason to suspect that the person that's orchestrating it is actually punishing them for that. It's not being done by man, right? They have no reason to suspect that. And yet they say, this must be happening to us because we did a bad thing. So that's number one. That idea comes up a lot in Torah, not just in this case. I feel like there's lots of moments in Tanakh where... Really? You know, where? On an individual level? On an individual level? And now I have to think about it. But I feel like as it seems, it's like there's this, there's this understanding that... Well, if you can come up with a case, the the other case, the other time is this parsha where Yosef says without any hesitation to the brothers after the, he reveals himself to the brothers, he said, "Well, don't worry. Even though you sold me, and you know, it really wasn't nice, but you know, God had a plan, and He sent me here for this and this reason. He sent me for what it is that I'm doing here. For He sent me here." To, to to be able to provide food for all these people, for you and your family. And there's a plan. And Joseph is pretty sure in the way he says it. He's not just saying it, you know, to console the brothers and say, you know, oh, you guys are real jerks, but, you know, look, things turned out well, and that must be God's hand. No, he's like saying he really believes it. Um, and he can feel it. I always say that the reason why he says that is because he's, you know, he he's, has the vision because he's living it, right? He can see it. He can feel it. He went through the whole thing. So that is the type of person who can say with conviction, like, this is God's hand. I feel it. I can feel it here, right? Um, what? I, I'm, I'm going through Torah trying to think of a, another instance where there's, like, this personal account of someone going this is happening because of that i'm I'm so sure that there are other places i'm just like okay well you'll have it for a moment in my mind um but i want to add to this that i think i think that do you ever wonder why we're we have this love affair with tehillim oh you brought that up this week <laughs> right why are we always saying tehillim we saying tehillim what everything and all kinds of Personal, personal travails and personal. <laughs> I have issues with Tehillim. <laughs> well, the point is, the point is, Tehillim is is not doesn't read like other books in Tanakh, and yet, you know, I've heard great people, and I've seen it's definitely our tradition that people want to look for solace in Tehillim. They look for inspiration in Tehillim. You know, people are trying to pray. They go to Tehillim. And, Cosmic and I, vending machine. You go to Tehillim. <laughs> Well, I'm not being I'm not being facetious here. I'm saying that this is you know what we do, and I know great people that do that also. And that if you try it every once in a while, you know, and you're feeling in a certain way, you're feeling perhaps lonely, or whatever it is, it there's something to it. It's, it's something there, and I, and I don't know what it is on that level, but what I could say, I think Tehillim became that way because when you read Tehillim, one of the late motifs that comes out is David Hamelch feeling incredibly 
guided by God's hand. He speaks to God in a way that you can feel his, um, his sensation of being touched by God all the time. I was going to say, do you and, think it's guided more than it is just connection? Like, no, it's guided. I, I mean, don't stand alone. Why do we say we're sticking on hollow? We say hollow on, on we said hollow all of Hanukkah. We say hollow for different reasons, but one of the reasons we say hollow is, is to celebrate a miracle. So why do we say these list of Tehillim for hallel? And if you go through it, if you look at it, the, the hallel starts, hallelujah, hallelujah, abdei Hashem. It says, praise, we, we, we are, it's our opportunity to praise God as being servants of Hashem. And he says, uh, God is amazing. You know, he's, uh, his, really, his, 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 his splendor is above the heavens, right? But who is like the God that he's so, so exalted, but yet he stoops down into the world, right? He stoops down into the world to see man. So David Mel says, lift me from the, from the depths. He has lifted me up. To make me a great person, right? Starts that way, starts and goes to a national way, but it ends the the, the all the, the Sukkot Tehillim ends with this same personal triumph that David Amel feels, like Odcha Kianitani Yeshua, that I was afflicted and but I it became I was, was saved. Evan Masua Bonimaita Bina. I was wasn't supposed to be elected. As uh, anything important, that was like another scrangy, scraggly kid and amongst the family. I wasn't supposed to be picked, and I became the Rosh Pina, right? And then he says, Ana I mean, this is like, it's very, very personal, and it's all about Ashkafcha Pratit. And I think that's how people react to it. And the reason why it became Tilim became the way is because. Ultimately, when we're reaching out to God on a personal level in our own little corner saying Tehillim, we're trying to reach out to God and say, like, we believe that there is Ashkacha Prati. We believe that it can exist, whether a person zohet to it or not. Or even if a person is believing that God really runs any, everything, but it's almost a semantic, like I said, because, because you're not going to know it. I'm saying so what what is that what is that where does that leave you there's if you just say look everything's god so then there's no point in just like celebrating this thing versus that thing it's like everything's god and that's it right you don't understand it but everything is god right but if people learn to say oh look at this and look at that and because they open up their eyes to certain things because they're more i don't know dramatic or more heart-wrenching or whatever it is that's happening to a person that draws his attention to it the idea is to say, to try to ascribe it to the extent of, that we can to to the existence of God, right? It doesn't mean that you understand why things work. It doesn't mean that you can interpret the events. It doesn't mean that you even have the arrogance to say that like God is holding you by the hand and pushing you in a direction because you're completely blind. You have no idea, right? But... The idea of reaching out to God and saying, I, I, 
I want to feel through the, these things that are happening in my life. I want to feel God's presence. I think this is the best attitude to have. Because you need to know that it could exist. And then you need to just hope that you got, hopefully you, you, know, you are being guided as well. But you're not, you're not arrogant enough to saying that you are being guided. But you're being hopeful to God. You're kaveh Hashem. You're hoping to God. You're hoping to Him. You know what I'm saying? It's it's a one, it's a it's a it's a way of connecting the things that go on into you of in your life to God. I hear that part. I just don't. I wouldn't translate then that necessarily to the belief of like I would be fine in all this without mentioning the word providence for me. The best, like to to me, the the game is all about God awareness. How aware am I of God in my everyday life when something happens? I don't have to feel like I'm being divinely guided more than what I really want to feel is I'm not alone. Even in this, I you know, even in this, I can connect with God. Even in this, I'm I'm I am being. That's essentially what I'm trying to say. I'm not trying. I'm not trying to say you should interpret events in any particular way. You should just feel. The idea is to feel through the experience. Right, but, but then again, to that... To ascribe it to God. To ascribe it is the word. That to me just is a, like, again, that to me is like the principles of connection and awareness of God in our life. Like, I, I, want, to, I want to, I pray to be guided by God and be given wisdom and help me make the right choices, help me be able to see clearly and... I think in that sense, we do ask God to, quote unquote, interfere in our regular day to day or our skills, abilities or things that we would normally do and be like, God, I, I want to include you more in this area of my life. I need your help. I need, I need guidance. I need wisdom. I need understanding. I need courage, whatever. Um, but then I feel like that's on the prayer side of things. But I think that when we're talking about now, this experientially living life, I, I think that the name of the game is always just going to be um, the the recognition that um, that nothing stands on its own. What happens to you isn't just on you. Like even in that in that situation, in that experience, you can still connect with God. God is still there with you. I, I happen to, I don't find a problem with the idea of feeling like God's holding my hand or whatever. I feel like that floats everyone's boat differently. Um, I don't feel like it's necessarily, uh, uh, what's it called? Arrogant to go like, you know, God's holding my hand. I'm like, if you know, that if that works for you. And if you feel closeness by then, then great. But I think that we, we're talking about something very subjective. We're talking about feeling and, and desire and, and hopefulness and, creating this connection i was talking about this with one of my students this week um how in my eyes and, and we've discussed this a lot in our podcast and, and just other times in life that what what i think judaism tries to do and torah and feel and everything that we do is all in order to create this relationship with god because that's the point of everything how how close how how can i come closer to God, know God more, do be more like God. How could I enter in this relationship and um, be God aware and, and, and go through my whole life walking with this quote unquote partner beside me that I can 
um, relate to and, and bring into this more into the light and of this world. But um, well, I kind of lost my train of thought there. <laughs> oh, yes. Because we were saying that uh, we were talking about prayer and she asked, like, isn't it if it's a if it's a relationship, how do we measure it? Because it really seems to be one sided because God's not you don't really know <laughs> what God's thinking or doing or you could be going like, yeah, me and God are besties like that girl from Spot. He's like, me and God are tight. I'm like, cool, man. <laughs> I'm happy you feel that way. Um, and there are some people on the other side who are like, God doesn't care about you. And there's no reason for you to feel like God needs to care about you. And uh, that's chill. Like, who, who says God loves you? you don't, God doesn't need to love you. God is God. So do your duty as a Jew and do your thing. And that also exists within the circles. I was talking about it with our cousin, actually, who's describing the more, I think, uh, Rav Soloveitchik approach of God being this more less intimate, less personal God and just there's a different uh, attitude there. But either way, um, you could correct me if I'm wrong, but I was, this was a conversation that we were having. But either way, it's just very subjective. Like at the end of the day, I think that things work differently for different people, but I think that we all want to feel like we're living a God-conscious life. And if you feel like bringing God into every aspect of your life and looking at it how, you know, you're never alone, therefore it could translate as providence or guidance or, or you know, just company and, and belonging and love and care. And, or you can just think about it in a whole bunch of different ways. You can think that, you know, whatever happens, happens, and maybe maybe it doesn't matter. Like, I, you know, I just think it's a very subjective kind of conversation, and it comes down to feelings and what we're trying to, what we believe to be important. Is it important for me to live a life feeling like God knows me, like I, like I can, God is my rock and my savior? Or, or are you content with living a life where you feel like God is just less involved? with you in your personal life. End of rant. Uh, the <laughs> Judaism will insist that God does know you. Otherwise, he's not God. That's what I would say. Instead of the but God could know you but not love you. Right? Who says God loves you? Well, love is a human emotion. What? Who says God has feelings? Well, 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 Playing devil's advocate. <laughs> I'm saying... You can say God doesn't have feelings, but he also has love in him because he has everything in him. Yeah, but who says it's directed at me? Like, uh, God could know me, but not but what would necessarily it mean that God loves care. you anyway? Hmm? What do you mean? He doesn't care, so then there's no relationship. Maybe there isn't. So I don't then, think everyone, so I don't think so everyone there, so then thinks what that there's a relationship. So then you're a Greek. No, I don't think so. I think that there's that place where you're like, it's not about the relationship. It's God it's created you. It. Is there a relationship or not? Is God cognizant of your existence? Did he create you? God is cognizant of your existence and he is your creator and he knows you, but maybe it's not about like this fuzzy, like God loves me. And it's just so God created you, care? gave you commandments and you care? have to do them. What does it mean he doesn't care? Who well, cares if you're having a hard time? Like, okay, that's human nature. You're like sad. No, but now, right? you're, getting, now you're getting evasive. I asked you, what does it mean he doesn't care? 
not they care about stupid things. Well, if, you, if you said a blanket statement that it's possible that he doesn't care, what would that mean? What would it look like he doesn't care? What that, that means that there's no significance to your existence if he doesn't care about you. That's not what the Torah believes. Otherwise, it wouldn't matter what you do in this world. It could be because it could not it could not be a care about you more than it is a care about what is done in the world, right? There could be a lot of things going on in your life, and you could be sharing a whole bunch of different things. But as long as you get one to get done, done, then that's what God cares about. And therefore, what you do still has meaning because you know at the end of the day, what you, your actions matter, your feelings just don't matter. Like who says God cares about your feelings? I feel like we're getting into like tropes of things that I'm not sure where you're going. Like, like. Ben Shapiro, God doesn't care about your feelings, kind of thing. What, what do you <laughs> Facts mean? Facts don't care about your feelings. Yeah, like what do you mean? Doesn't care about your feelings, like. A, I do. I like. I, for me, this is like a very subjective conversation. I think it's it's interesting and it's fascinating. I just don't know where you're trying to get to because if trying you're to, trying to say I'm that. I'm trying to be my dear. I'm trying to give parameters for our belief in Pratit, in, in personal providence, and I think that, and it's, like I said, there's two issues of personal providence. One is belief that Judaism insists that God knows his creation, right? That God knows his creation. If, if, the, if the Torah even says that God love is capable of loving, right? He chose, he chose us, as, right? And that means that he cares, that he's made a choice, and he loves, he can love the patriarchs, right? He's capable of loving. The Torah says that he loved the patriarchs. Does it? Yes. So, so then it's capable. So then, at least the way we understand it on some basic human level, we're supposed to be made to understand that whatever we equate with love is something that you can attribute to God in a God level, just like you can attribute any of the anthropomorphic ideas that the Torah says you could attribute to God, which aren't to be understood on a human level, but in some higher level, it exists. A connection of love. Okay. So um, that being said, it doesn't mean that you can interpret all the things in your life, which is what people sometimes people fall into this trap of thinking that the providence that God ex exercises over my life is something that I can interpret and see. Actually, like I see that carrot, I can see God's hand in my life. You can't mm. see it. You can hope for it. You can. You can wait for it. You can we desire it. Desire it. You can you can ascribe things to God. And that that's turn, also tricky to ascribe things to God. That in turn brings you because you're not making a determination about what you think to be empirical, like you would see anything else in your life. But you're saying, I I I wanna. It's like if a person's in a love relationship with somebody. Anything that ha and 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 and, the, and the, the other partners on the other side of the world, the a, a person a person who's in love will see the other partner in everything that they do, whether they're standing or sitting or thinking. They'll be thinking about them. Your so partner's somewhere away. And you're going shopping. You're like, oh, right. you know, oh, my, I must have, uh, you know, my this spouse is, loves flowers. This and to I was thinking, it's going to make me more a better partner, and could be. It's, you're always very irrationally sometimes 
you know, bring, conjuring up the image or the idea of the other person or the other partner with things that have, don't necessarily have anything to do with it. Right. So you're saying really, it, again, it's, it's just, it's a subject, it's subjective. It's an attitude that we decide to take out of coming from a place of love and desire for connection, mm-hmm. which you're saying is, is great, is great. And, and there right. is, and there's a belief in that we, we learn from the Torah, which is that God does care for us. And therefore that gives us this almost not necessarily a right, but like we, we in turn want to, want to care and love God. That's what I see in this episode in the Torah, because nobody, God didn't come to Joseph and God didn't say, appear to Joseph in a prophecy and say, you know, I'm sending you down to Egypt and you're going to do this and you do that. You know, he, he was all on his own. And the brothers were also. And when they ascribe these things to God, it's because they're saying, they're looking in their lives and they're, 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 they're trying to see meaning, and patterns to get a meaning. And that's basically synonymous with idea of ascribing to God. So what I feel like we're saying really is that the the desire to connect with God and to ascribe meaning to our lives because we, we want to include God into it from a place of, of love and wanting to belong and, and be together and, and seal connection and, and imuna and all these lovely, wonderful things um, is something that we is something that we choose and it's but it however it doesn't give us license and we should be careful to use this as a way of justifying or believing that everything that happens to us or that we do or don't do is all being orchestrated by God in a very uh, directed manner just for you and therefore you know, you drop things or do things and you're just like, oh, hashkacha pratis. Like it has totally not nothing to do with me and this was just God guiding me. Don't fall into that trap where you mm-hmm. suddenly decide that everything in life is all just signs from God and that way is just a very, um, I don't even know what the word is. Like it's a form of, it's a way of living that's just very, almost laissez-faire. So important one other thing that Yosef, he's when he speaks to his brothers, he says, "Oh, don't worry that you basically try to mess up my entire life and were very evil, because God sent me here for a purpose." Now, what what does that mean? I mean, I mean like, can we just do bad things and be like, yeah. "Well, if I can do it, then that must mean that God yeah, wants it." What is he saying? They're not going to be held responsible for what they did. No, they will be held responsible for what they did. But there is this idea that you can do something that's bad, but then what what you cause the collateral damage let's say of something evil is already not in your control but you will be ultimately responsible if you create collateral damage even if you don't directly control it mm-hmm. on that Yosef is saying you did the initial thing which is bad however all the consequences it seems that God was directing this is what Yosef is saying to them to, to breathe significance into what happened the consequences of what you did were were orchestrated and that's the way i'm living this yosef says that's the way i live it um if that was a some kind of a consolation for the brothers or not i don't, I don't you know it doesn't, it's not clear but it seems to be that he definitely tried to con- console them that way 
But I don't think he, like I said before, I don't think he would console them with, you know, empty words. I think he really believed that. And he's saying to them, you're responsible for the part that you're responsible on. There's nothing I can do about that. But the consequences of what you've done, um, those I can say and I can believe that you are not, um, you are not holding those cards. You couldn't control that. So I can believe, that gives me room to believe that this was God orchestrated. God did not orchestrate you guys selling me because you chose to do that. But whatever happened after that, I can believe that that was hashkacha, that was providence. And that's what I choose to believe so, so that there's meaning in this. And I'm sharing it with you so that you can also at least be somewhat consoled. All right. Lots of, yeah, lots of ideas, lots of things to think about. Um... So, yeah, I guess, you know, think about how much you want God to be a part of your life. How aware are you, God, and his presence in your life? And, uh, oh, well, good, good questions to think about. <laughs> um, so with that, have a lovely Shabbos, everybody. And uh, we hope to be sharing more ideas next week. Hasta la vista, friends. And that's a wrap, my friends. We hope that our conversation inspired you and gave you something to chew on. Please send us your feedback, questions, comments, topics you'd be interested in discussing, and even triggers so we can generate more relevant and meaningful conversation. You can contact us at fdhp.feedback at gmail.com. And we are wishing you a blessed week, and we'll catch you next time.